Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first ever episode of Basketball Unscripted here on the Pit Talk Network. I'm your host, Corey Cohen, and with me for this first ever episode, he uh, he was on the inaugural episode of Football Unscripted. He was my host way back in the day at Cardiac Hill, uh, Jim Hammett of Panther Lair. Thank you so much for coming on and being on this uh, this first episode of Basketball Unscripted as well. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Corey. Um... Again, we're just always we're jumping into anything we can talk about. And it's funny you set this up and I was like, hey, give me 10 minutes because Pitch has got a basketball commitment. So there's always something going on, even in the offseason. Yeah. And and it's things aren't necessarily regular. Uh, I know this is sort of a weird time to launch a podcast network uh, for college sports. But when something happens, we're going to be here to talk about it. And uh, things are happening with basketball. So this network was not able to launch. Uh, during the March Madness run, so we didn't get to talk about that. Um, just very briefly, I mean, that that run was was really incredible, season wide, season long. The fact that it went from starting the season and even the first few games of the season, Jeff Capel's on the hot seat. They're going to have to to pay his enormous buyout. What, what a disaster! Into this team can actually win the ACC, at least the the regular season uh, championship, and they were in the position to do so. Uh, right up until the end, really just an absolutely incredible turnaround. And for anyone, including myself, doubting Jeff Capel, he did a hell of a job this year to to prove people wrong, win two games in the NCAA tournament. We didn't even think this team could make the NCAA tournament or thought maybe they could, but this was an NIT team, maybe. And the fact that they made the tournament, won two games in it, uh, just one hell of a year from from that squad. Yeah, they were just a fun team to cover because uh, there there weren't a lot of egos on the team. So just, uh, you know, just tracking them all year is like you could just tell they were genuinely having fun. And uh, they kind of embraced that nobody believed in them. They, they were picked 14th in the ACC. And they, they, that was something they carried with them all season long. So And I think it helped them, too. So uh, it was just kind of a it, – and I think from for Pitt fans, they were just – eager to see a winning team but at the same time it was a fun team to follow because they were just like this this little team that that shouldn't be able to do anything but they found a way I mean they they shot the ball like crazy uh you know they they had their flaws they weren't a great rebounding team they weren't overly deep but they played with heart and I think it was something that uh you know the fan base really got behind this year yeah, definitely was the little team that could, uh, and as you, especially little because they they thought their star player would be John Hughley, who ended up not really playing for the season. So yeah, big uh, gap there at, at the center position. They were able to make it work. Let's talk about the, this roster turnover because now with with Pitt basketball and for a lot of teams, every year it is almost starting from scratch, or at least a, a lot of big players that you have to replace. And you go into that transfer portal and and you try to get people. It's almost like Moneyball when they go in there and you got to say we got to rebuild from the aggregate. And so they're they're losing four phenomenal players from last year's team: Nelly Cummings, Greg Elliott, Nike Sabandi, Jamarius Burton. The guys who are returning, uh, you've got the Diaz's Graham, the the Diaz Graham twins from the Canary Islands. You've got Blake Hinson. Uh, who who can uh, hit from anywhere. You've got Federico Federico, a center who really showed promise. Uh, you've got Will Jeffries, who's going to be taking a, a step up. Dior Johnson, uh, who because of legal issues didn't end up playing this past season. That got worked out, and it seems like, yeah, he's not transferring. He's not leaving the program. He's going to be on the squad and likely starting. Uh, who do you think is going to take, maybe you know, a couple people, going to take a big step up next year uh, in the absence of the four that they're losing? 
Yeah, and I, I mean, it was a team that was built on its backcourt. So losing four perimeter players, it, you know, you're definitely a little nervous going into the season. But like you said, uh, the real wild, wild card of everything is Dior Johnson because he's still the highest rated recruit Jeff Capel has ever landed at Pitt. I mean, he's he is a big top fifty, you know, big time player. So if you know if he can put it together and be the talented player everyone thinks he is, then you know that's that's a huge bonus for Pitt. But I mean, you're also looking at some other freshmen. I mean, they have two four-star guards coming in, uh, Jalon Lowe from Texas and Carlton Carrington for Baltimore, and Marlon Barnes is a wing from Cleveland. So you have a three-man recruiting class and you have D.R. Johnson. That's four freshman uh, perimeter players. So obviously when you see that, there's a lot of upside, there's a lot of talent. You know, you have multiple four-stars, uh, top 100 players, which is, you know, something Pitt has always, you know, wanted to have under Jeff Cable. Everyone thought he was going to be this great recruiter, and he's definitely showing it. But at the same time, you want to, you want to have some experience in the backcourt because you, you saw what Nellie Cummings brought. You saw what Greg Elliott was able to do. And obviously, Jamarius Burham was just the ultimate leader of that team. So you need that. And so, and you know, as we were setting this podcast up today, uh, Pitt landed someone that kind of fit that profile. That's Ish- Ishmael Leggett from Rhode Island. Uh, you know, Rhode Island wasn't a very good team this year. I think they only won 10 or 11 games. But he was their leading scorer. He was the seventh leading scorer in the A-10. Uh, he's a 6'3 guard. Uh, he has two years of eligibility to play. And the, when I looked at him play, you know, he kind of, you know, he has a game similar to Jamarius Burton, but I think he might take on a role of a Nike Savandi, kind of be that six-man, play 20 minutes a game. So they, they wanted a veteran guard back there. And, you know, this is basically breaking news. They got one today. Yeah, it's really uh... – Really interesting who they've been able to get. So, as you said, they've got these these freshmen coming in, especially in the backcourt. You've got some consistency at the center position with Federico and and both uh, Diaz Graham twins. We'll see if they can maybe all add you know some muscle. Uh, you've got Blake Henson coming back, and then you've got these uh, transfers now. The first one they got was Zach Austin um, from High Point. What do you think about him? And, and what he's going to be able to do. Yeah, I, I like Austin's game because he's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, uh, kind of an athletic forward. And the, the thing with him is he would have led Pitt and block shots this year. So he, he's able to you know defend inside, but I think he's also athletic enough to defend on the wing. And I think that's important because you could probably play him alongside Blake Hinson because, you know, with Hinson probably can't defend anyone on the perimeter. He's kind of locked into that four spot, even though he's such an offensive player on the perimeter not so much defensively. So I think if you have a guy like Austin, you can play both of them at the same time. You have two, six, seven forwards. They could both, you know, grab six, seven, eight rebounds a game and you're a little bit bigger. So you're not really playing a three guard lineup. So I I think where he comes in, he fits into that kind of that small forward role and he's a three and D type of player. I mean, he he didn't shoot a great percentage. I think he shot 33% from three, but he had 60 makes. And, and as we watch, the, this pit team this year, it really wasn't so much about how great of a percentage they shot. I mean, they just fired up threes. I mean, that's that's kind of what they did. So I think in this offensive system, if you have the ability to shoot, you're going to be allowed to shoot. And I, th- I think he'll fit in in that role and especially on defense. So I, I think they just found a player who can complement Blake Hinson and play alongside him. And I think that's really important because their biggest issue this year was rebounding. And, you know, Federico, Guillermo, they are who they are. They need to get stronger, but you're going to need other positions other than the center to rebound. And I think that's where a guy like Zach Austin comes in. Right. We've seen that in the past where guys who who are fours 
or at least would play at four, are able to to rebound. And obviously, sometimes they'll play at five. But talk about a long legacy of like Dewan Blair and and you know Talib Zana played some four and Ryan Luther and guys like that. You know, true you know power forwards that that are able to come down with a rebound. And that does seem like it could be Zach Austin coming at a high point from the Big South, small conference. But uh, but we'll see what he's able to do. Then you've got um, Ish Leggett, Ishmael Leggett, who, as you said, uh, you know, really breaking news uh, is is transferring to Pitt from Rhode Island and seems to be, as you said, that veteran guard. What do you think? A lot of guard play, but then you sort of differentiate between the point guards that you can really trust handling the ball and then the guys who are going to be more shooters or, or drive to the basket. What, what did what, from what you've seen, and it's been very brief with Ish Leggett, what do you think he's going to be able to to do for this squad? Do you think he's able to be a primary ball handler? Is that still just going to be more on, on Dior Johnson? What do you think? I think he could play the one or the two or the three, and I think that's kind of the profile with Dior and even Jalen Lowe. So I, I think this season you have a, you've guys that can handle the ball, guys that can shoot, kind of do both. So – I think they're still going to look for like who's going to be that true point guard. That and and even this past season, I, I thought they did really well in that Nelly Cummings and Jamarius Burton could both handle and initiate offense and set other people up for things. So I think it'll be benefit to the team next year if they can have multiple guys that can do the same thing. So you know, I think Leggett can help in that regard. I think Dior Johnson's going to do a little bit of it. I think Lowe's going to be a little bit of it, and they still have two spots to play with, and we'll see what they can go after. I mean. At this point, do you add more shooting? I mean, did, did they really find a replacement for Greg Elliott with these two transfers? I'm not so sure. Uh, did, you know, do you need another big guy inside? I mean, we saw when Federico got hurt last year, they, you know, the depth got really tested. So, I mean, I, I think they there are still opportunities to add players, but the, the, the difference this year and maybe in past years for Jeff Capel is it doesn't feel like they're scrambling. I mean, it's like, okay, Zach Austin visited, committed two days later. Leggett visited, committed two days later. So they, they have a plan. They have a good recruiting class. They have a good plan in the portal. And it just seems like the whole composition of this roster is just going much more smoothly than it has the past couple of seasons. Well, it certainly helps that, that this is a squad that proved something, really for the first time under Jeff Capel. And they can point to that and say, hey, see this team? You saw them on national TV. You saw them in the national ranking, you know, top 25, at least briefly, uh, this is a squad that's on the rise. It's got a national profile. They, they play a fun brand of basketball. And this is a place where you can come. And, and that is something that in the past you couldn't really point to. You could say, Hey, look, we had this one really good player in Justin Champagny or, Hey, maybe we can make the NIT next year, but you haven't been able to point to evidence and say, yeah, look at this team, what we've accomplished and we can do even more now. And it'll be really interesting with those two slots. I mean, you mentioned they ha- they have those two slots still. And it seems like there are three types of players that they can choose from for those two spots. There's a ball-dominant point guard, floor general, likely, you know, veteran that maybe even just has one year of eligibility, but who you can trust with the ball in his hands. There's a 3-and-D type of scorer replacing a Greg Elliott type that you can park there out on the three-point line and can hit an open shot and you have another reliable shooter. And then there's a either a four or a five, but someone big. When I say big, I don't just mean tall, but I, I mean strong, a little bit wide, 
and and intimidating in the post so that if there is someone who in the matchup with Federico or with Diaz Graham, who if they're not strong enough, they're a little bit too lanky, you've got a real bruiser in there to, you know, a Roselle Knicks type for people <laughs> that remember that maybe a little bit more skill with the ball, but just someone who they can rely on down low to to have more than just height, but really have a, a lot of size. So between those three types of players, those three builds, if you will, um, I don't know if you're GM, what of those, which two of those three do you think you're prioritizing? And obviously it, it's going to depend on the actual players, but if those are the three main types of players that they're looking at, what are the two that you think you'd prioritize a little bit more than the third? Shooter. Definitely shooting. And you could even justify taking two more shooters. Just, I mean, that's just, that is just such a need in college basketball this, in this day and age that knocking down outside shots is just such a weapon. And if they could find more shooting, I, I'd be all for it. But, but like you said, it, you don't necessarily need a 6'11 center. You just need someone that can go down and get a rebound. And I think that's maybe the, the second area I'm looking for. You don't, you don't need a 6'10 center. If you have a 6'6 power forward that can go and grab rebounds and be physical and be tough, they need that. Uh, you know, Blake Henson can rebound a little bit. Uh, the Twins, Federico, they can rebound a little bit. Austin's going to bring that. But there's nobody on that team where you're like, he's going to average 10 rebounds. Or it's just not going to happen. So if they could just keep attacking rebounding as a group, and that's kind of what they're going to have to do. So I, I think shooting and rebounding are the two things I'm prioritizing with these last two spots. Interesting. So I, you would say, you mentioned earlier, you, you'd be pretty confident in guys like Dior Johnson in the new transfer ish Leggett in Jalen Lowe. You're, you're pretty confident that they're going to be able to handle the ball, even as being young guys uh, that, that they're going to be okay in, in the season. And obviously you don't have to worry so much about, Oh, how they're going to perform in March, because at that point they will have had a season under their belt, but you, you think that they would be fine if that's who they have at the point guard position. And, and that's who they, they trust handling the ball. I, I think, and I, I think the other thing you have to kind of worry about a little bit is roster management. I mean, most four star point guards, they come to a place to play. They're not there to sit. That's true. So, I mean, Dior Johnson and Jalen Lowe, they're expecting to play a lot next year, and I'm sure they were sold on the fact to come to Pitt to play a lot. So, uh, I mean, you you would like to be experienced, and you saw the the success they had this year with having a bunch of seniors. But at the same time, the roster you know flips eventually, and eventually you have to play young guys. So I think Leggett does give them a little bit of an extra option behind the young guys. So and, and again, if they if they find the right shooter, he might be able to handle the ball a little bit. Right. So, so th there are there are options. So I I, I think the roster just kind of has more depth through it uh, from last year. I mean, by the end of the year last year, they were only playing seven seven eight guys with the injuries. So I mean, it was it got a little tough at the end. I mean, could, could you have pictured if Guillermo fell out against Mississippi oh State? Oh my god! I mean, they didn't have anyone else. That, that was Jorge, it. I guess Jorge, but uh, exactly, and yeah. he's not really a center. So I mean, it's like you just need to have a more balanced roster from top to bottom. And I think that's what Jeff Cable has done so far. And again, you know, there's been years where it felt like Pitt had to scramble. It's like they have seven scholarships open and it's, an, it's the end of April. What are they going to do? And they, you know, they figure it out. They got a roster put together, but at that point it's not always the greatest roster. So I think right now they're ahead of the game. They don't have to rush anymore. I mean, they can find the two pieces that fit the best to, 
to fill out the roster at this point. Yeah, and and it's really interesting. I, I like your point about the point guard position that, yeah, I mean, things aren't – basketball isn't the same that it used to be where there was a defined point guard who every single time is bringing the ball up, and that's what they do. They don't really score. They don't really shoot. They uh, the James Robinson type, if you will, from back in the day. Not many guys like that anymore. You'll have a lot of guys who, who can do a few things well, and you have to – sort of put your trust in players like Johnson, like Lowe, now like Leggett, that they can do a little bit of everything, include hold on to the ball. And because you've got a few of them, that if one guy fails, you've got someone else that, that you can trust. Uh, very interesting that you mentioned of, of the two, of the, the shooter, and that you could even do that do that twice. I would like to see one more big body. As you said, doesn't even have to be tall, but someone who, I mean, Dewan Blair was one of the most physically intimidating players in in college basketball when he was playing he wasn't that tall he was just big and uh that i think is something and and could grab rebounds that's something that i would love to see if they're able to get someone as you said six seven six eight but who's got some muscle who's got some size who if the other team has a guy who's six nine six ten and is posting up we saw in the xavier matchup in the ncaa tournament and and don't get me wrong guillermo diaz graham did great in that game uh, but if you're mashing up against a guy like that, that you can have someone there uh, defending in the post who has a lot of size and is really going to cause some trouble for, for teams that do have a, a sizable big man on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just apparent down the stretch that Pitt just didn't have, they were getting crushed on rebounding. <laughs> I mean, if they weren't hitting their threes and life was going to be really difficult because they were giving up offensive rebounds and second chance points left and right. So they just need to do a better job on the glass. And like I said, I think Austin helps with that. I think the twins getting older and Fetty getting older will help with that, but they definitely need a, they probably need another person that can just go in there and even just be five fouls and a couple rebounds, just, just depth. That yeah. is that that's what it is. Yeah. In case something happens with, and we don't know if, if, Federico is injury prone necessarily, but if something happens, as we saw in March, that it's not just going to be up to Guillermo Diaz Graham uh, to to have the entire burden uh, and and maybe Zach Austin now. So yeah, that that would be nice to say. And then on top of that, Federico Diaz Graham hitting the weight room, hitting the 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 protein shakes, the protein bars, really uh, building up that muscle in the off season. You, you always hear programs talk about, Oh, we put on 10 pounds of muscle this off season. That's definitely got to be a priority. I'm sure. Yeah. What was the old Brian O'Neill diet when he went from tight end to tackle at pit? I think he, he would set alarm every couple hours and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. God, that's the life. Wouldn't that be <laughs> great if that was your job? So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Uh, Jose and Guillermo are big peanut butter and jelly guys, but that doesn't sound like a bad idea for those two. I, yeah, I don't know what the cuisine is in the Canary Islands. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's more Spanish, paellas, or I don't know. But whatever it is, that PB and J, I'll tell you, there are worse things in the world than having to. Uh, I know it's it's uh, a lot of it's muscle, but there are worse things in the world than having to put on weight uh, as something being asked of you. Um, before we go, I, I want to talk about women's basketball. Uh, a new head coach. And this is someone that I'm uh, somewhat familiar with, Tori Verdi, formerly the head coach at UMass. Uh, for those who don't know, I, I do play-by-play -play, uh, at LaSalle uh, and, and do all the women's basketball games there. And so I've seen Tori Verdi uh, across the sideline as head coach of UMass. 
And he has done an incredible job with the Minute Women at UMass. Uh, there's also an interesting connection to Heather Like, which is before he was at UMass, he was the head coach at Eastern Michigan when Heather Like was the athletic director at Eastern Michigan. And so you've now got a, a head coach who's got history with the athletic director who's proven himself as an excellent head coach at an A-10 uh, school in a, a play, you know, Amherst. It's not like it's a uh, an incredibly rich uh, hotbed for college basketball. And so the fact that he was able to turn that into top program in the Atlantic 10 the last few years was able to do things in the transfer portal. He got Sam Breen, a transfer from Penn State, who is from Western PA. She's out of eligibility. Uh, so so no chance she's transferring to Pitt. But he's already been able to prove that he can get transfers, including from Western PA or from the state of Pennsylvania, uh, that, that he can really build a program up. What do you think about that hire? Because the last few years, Pitt athletics in general has just been on the up and up. Football, uh, men's basketball now, volleyball, men's soccer, women's soccer, ba- you know, wrestling, all these programs, women's basketball has not been there. It's been very stagnant. They made the change uh, from Lance White now to Tory Verde. What do you think of this hire? I, I think it's a good hire and that both of his stops, uh, like you mentioned, is he was able to turn around two programs that are very good. And to you know be blunt as we can about it, Pitt basketball is just not a very good program, and it never has been. They, uh, aside from a five-year run with Agnes Baronado in the Big East, uh, women's basketball has kind of been a disaster at Pitt for a long stretch. And this, uh, you know, the Lance White, the past five seasons, they've been really bad. I mean, they, they, they've been terrible. And it's it, 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 and like you said, this athletic department's been great, almost top to bottom. But the one, the probably the most glaring thing right now is how bad the women's basketball team has been. So there's really nowhere to go but up for Verdi. And I think he comes with a good track record. Uh, you know, UMass did not have a great basketball history. They just won 26 games in back-to-back seasons. Uh, they didn't make the tournament this year. They were in the NIT. But again, I mean, for a program that just never had anything, that's something. And I, I think women's basketball, it, it's hard to climb the ladder because the good teams are the good teams. That's just, it, it, it just kind of is what, there's less parity there. South Carolina is going to be in the top five next year. We can pencil it in. We just know. So that's just one of those things. But UMass had no history, and he was able to build them up. And I think that's what he's going to have to try to do at Pitt. A program needs built here. They're not looking to turn things around. They're looking to start. And I think that's kind of what they're going with with Birdie. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a program that, like, men's basketball, where, yeah, they had success in the past under Howland and Dixon, and then they lost their way, and you're looking to turn it around, but you've got that history. This is a program, as you said, not really any history. Um, And there's so much potential there. Um, with the the facilities and just the athletic department as a whole, with the fan base, with the Oakland Zoo. I mean, you can you look at some of these top women's basketball schools, their student sections are just as loud, if not louder, for their women's basketball team as they are for the men's basketball team. They get so into it, and there's no reason that in the exact same sport, uh, you know, the sport of basketball, the women's basketball team uh, shouldn't be able to be as successful uh, at least roughly as the men's basketball team, and then be able to to get that level of uh, engagement and support and, and everything. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you saw what he did at Eastern Michigan, uh, turning a program around completely from just in the dumps to after a couple of years being a winning program in that athletic de- and that athletic department as a whole. is It's just not an easy place to win, as we saw Heather like there. What she was able to do 
is it's a Herculean task at Eastern Michigan. And then he went to UMass and within a few years turned that into a winning program. And as you said, made it to uh, a, a team that won 26 games in back-to-back years, um, winning the Atlantic 10 in the regular season. They would have, uh, the, the only reason they weren't in the uh, NCAA tournament this year is because they lost to St. Louis in overtime uh, in the A-10 championship. Uh, if not for that, they would have been back in the uh, in the NCAA tournament. But that that's a program, and it's and it's a one bid conference. Um, although I argued this was before Tory Verdi was attached to Pitt at all. I argued that UMass, with how they played throughout the regular season, losing in the conference championship uh, in overtime, that they deserved an at large bid. They were on the bubble; they didn't get it. Um, but the fact that an A10 team is on the bubble to get an at large bid. And and was so close to getting it again. That was what he was able to do there. Absolutely incredible. They were dominant in the Atlantic 10. I think he's he's going to be phenomenal. There were some other big names mentioned that apparently they made offers to couldn't get Um, whether he's a consolation prize or or not. I think he is an excellent hire personally. Um, I, I think Heather like knocked it out of the park with this one. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, this isn't an assistant coach who was with a good program. This is someone who knows how to coach, knows how to turn a program around. And I think that's really important now when you're looking for a leader, that it's not going to be someone learning on the job. He knows what he's doing. The resources are there. I think this is going to be really successful. It's going to take a couple years, but I think he's going to be really successful. Yeah. Like I said, with, with women's basketball, it's like, you're not going to come around and grab a transfer and be a top 10 team. Like it just, it just doesn't happen that way. You need to build a program. And I think Pitt's willing to give him a chance to build the program. And you just, you look at college basketball, you know, women's college basketball right now. I mean, it's always going to be football. It's always going to be men's basketball, but that third spot right now, it's women's basketball. I mean, it, it, the sport has really grown. I mean, Angel Reese, uh, Caitlin Clark, they're household names right now. And, and, and like you said, it, the Pitt Athletic Department, I just think the fan base in general is just more into everything just because everyone's, you know, all the sports in the department are so good. So I, I, I really think a good women's basketball program would do well at Pitt. I think it would draw well. I think people would be into it. And, you know, it's just like I said, that, that the sport itself is growing. There's more popularity there. So uh, going with this hire, I think, like you said, it made, it, it was smart to go with a head coach because Lance White, he was an assistant coach at a successful program in the ACC. And that made sense. That was Jeff Capel's profile. That was Mike Bell's profile as the baseball coach. That's kind of who she targeted in her first couple of hires at Pitt. But I think now with the success Pitt is having across the board, it's like, okay, let's go after sitting head coaches. I think we can do that now. We don't have to just grab someone's assistant. And I think that was kind of the mindset here. So again, Tori Verdi, good head coaching experience. He's a program builder. That's what he does. And that's what needs to happen at Pitt. I, yeah, I completely agree. I think women's basketball at Pitt is this untapped uh, market, if you will. I mean, this is a sport that, as you said, it's incredibly popular and getting more and more popular. Uh, it's it's thrilling. I Like I said, I, I do a ton of announcing uh, in women's basketball. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenal sport. I think it's going to be great for Pitt to have a top flight program if they can get there. Uh, again, similar to men's basketball, you can get the Oakland Zoo filled. You can get people really excited about it. This is a good team, a good program. Uh, and I think Tori Verdi is going to be able to do it. Like I said, yeah, it's going to take a couple of years, three, four, even five years, but I'm very confident they're able to do it. And this is, 
just as you said, this is a sport that that is becoming so important that you can't afford to just have it on the back burner. This is if yeah, sure in an athletic department, yeah, you can have a couple sports. Okay, if they're not doing so well, that's fine. This is a sport that increasingly every single year, this is going to be more and more important that you have a competitive women's basketball program. And uh, and I think it's really important. I mean, that's that's we're talking about it. I, I know some sort of classify it separately for men's basketball. Moving forward on the Pit Talk Network, women's basketball is going to be be discussed on this podcast on basketball and scripted with men's basketball. And uh, and if they are doing the things that that um, that that warrant discussion, if there's a, a big time transfer, if there's a big time win, we're going to be talking about it right here uh, because it is uh, it, it's basketball and that's what we do here. So um, I, I think this is things are heading in the right direction. It's early. It's going to take a while. But I, I do think. Um, that, that things are, are moving in the right direction. Uh, Jim, before I let you go, anything uh, else when it comes to basketball, men's or women's uh, that, that you've observed or that, uh, that you want to say before we go? I mean, not really. I think we touched on it all. I mean, right now it's, it's transfer portal season. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, Pitt signed their three high school recruits in the fall and now you have four open spots and you just look at the transfer portal. So just the change of just college athletics in the past three years has been wild, but yeah, right now we're just uh, waiting on the portal. That's kind of kind of how it is these days. Waiting on the portal, love it. Uh, well, Jim, thank you so much. Uh, anyone, everyone, uh, please uh, go follow Jim Hammett on Twitter. Check out his stuff on Panther Layer. Uh, they they do great stuff over there. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the first ever episode of Basketball Unscripted. Um, and uh, yeah, until next time. Again, things not completely regular yet. Uh, but we're going to be getting there, and and anytime there's news, uh, we're going to have a podcast up on it. So um, uh, until then, uh, please follow Pit Talk Network on Twitter. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, again, thank you to my guest, Jim Hammett. Uh, and until next time, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from Basketball Unscripted on the Pit Talk Network. <laughs>